morning, Encounter Church. Go ahead and uh, make your way to Matthew chapter 5 if you're not there already. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, we'll be continuing uh, here in our teaching series through the Sermon on the Mount, that great sermon uh, that Jesus gave uh, to his disciples and those who were listening as well. Matthew chapter 5, and I'll begin reading there in verse uh, 38. And we'll look at through verse 42. You'll find the book of Matthew there in the New Testament, uh, toward the back of the Bible, uh, Matthew chapter 5. Follow along with me as I read from God's Word. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, an eye for eye and a tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand, your co- hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. How many of you remember pop quizzes back in school? Huh? How many of you are in school and you know what a pop quiz is, right? How many of you dread a pop quiz, right? Yes, we all do. Well, good. This morning, your dreads are coming true because we're going to have a pop quiz. How's that sound, huh? I want to see how many of us can answer, can finish these phrases that probably most of us are familiar, I don't think this is going to be a, an, a hard pop quiz because honestly, revenge comes quite easily for most of us. All right, so here's the first one. Finish this phrase. I don't get mad, I get even. Wow, wow, looks like we do need this sermon this morning. Revenge is a dish Best served cold. That's right. That one was a little bit more difficult. Revenge is a dish. Best served cold. How about this one? We should fight fire with with fire. Yeah, a lot of you are like saying this with great enthusiasm. And then the last one is this. Revenge is sweet. Revenge is sweet, right? I think as we displayed this morning, most of us are familiar with these old phrases uh, that we have the tendency of repeating rather easily. It's true that we live in a world that expects revenge, don't we? We live in a world that expects revenge. Uh, We use phrases like we just repeated or we use other phrases to maybe even justify our revenge by saying things like, well, they had it coming to them or they deserved it, or I was just returning the favor, <laughs> right? We, we use words. I, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but our hearts are often bent toward revenge. Our hearts are often bent toward getting even. The reality is, is that revenge is never satisfied. Revenge is never satisfied. It always hungers for more. 
You might compare revenge to being like the flywheel on an engine that keeps the cycle of hurt turning. Revenge is an attempt to get the last word. Revenge in our hearts is an unwillingness to be wronged. Let me say that again. Revenge is an unwillingness to be wronged. This morning, we're looking again at Jesus' teaching. And again, these these examples that Jesus is giving us, he's he's really revealing the depths of our hearts. He's showing us how much more we need him. Uh, He's also exposing the hypocrisy of the Pharisees who may have been standing nearby close to that hillside. And Jesus is reminding us that revenge is not to be a part of our lives. This teaching, this sermon, is not a graduate level course for experienced believers. Don't read this and think, well, I could never do that. I'm I'm still young in my faith. No, Jesus is speaking to new disciples. These teachings are basic Christianity for us. So Jesus wants us to see the dangers of revenge and instead how our hearts should respond when someone wrongs us. In fact, this morning, the big idea is this, to be all right with being wronged. To be all right with being wronged. Jesus wants us to see, and he's going to show us, and Lord willing, by the time we leave this morning, that we will learn to be content. We will learn to understand that people will hurt us. People will will insult us. People will wish harm on our lives. And that we should learn to be all right with being wronged. So this morning, we look first at verse 38, where Jesus shows us that personal revenge is not our place. That personal revenge is not our place. God is a God of of justice indeed. And God there in the Old Testament, laws were put in place throughout the Old Testament to help the nation of Israel to know how to deal justly in cases of wrongdoing and offense. And one of the more well-known laws of the Old Testament, which deals in areas of justice, is this verse right here before us in verse 38. It's the verse that Jesus again echoes, where he says, you have heard it said, eye for eye and tooth for What Jesus is doing, that verse, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, that quote is taken directly from three separate Old Testament passages. You would find it in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And from first glance, this law 
almost seems to be encouraging a savage response, doesn't it? But in actuality, this Old Testament law is a standard of fairness. It's a standard of fairness for the purpose of of preventing excessive punishment or unfair treatment toward the guilty person. Eye for eye and tooth for tooth is a call for justice. And it's, it, it is indeed one of the oldest laws in the history of civilization. And that law actually played a double effect. It had a double role where it demanded justice that, yes, you should give an eye if you take an eye. In other words, as the metaphor is used... It demands justice, but at the same time, it also restrains evil. If they only took one eye, only take one of their eyes, not both of their eyes. If they only knocked out one of your teeth, only knock out one of their teeth, right? It, it, so it demanded justice, but at the same time, it restrained excessive punishment. And the scales of justice, even in our court system today, hang from this standard. Now, in today's language, we might say something like, The time should match the crime. Again, an eye for eye, a tooth for tooth. Or the payment should match the pain. Eye for eye and tooth for tooth promotes equity and maintains human relationships. Its purpose is to guarantee that justice is served within society. And it's the responsibility... And indeed, it's the proper function of governing bodies to restrain evil and to carry out justice. In fact, in the book of Romans chapter 13, uh, we're reminded that God has put authorities and governing bodies in place within our society to, to maintain civility, to make it so that way uh, we, can, we can walk outside and, and feel safe. And in fact, we should be thankful for and support our police force, shouldn't we? We should be thankful for and support our judges. We should be thankful for and support our governing officials and support our military because they are acting as God's servants for our good and the good of a civil society. So God has put in place within society this understanding that there are people who who are specifically... Uh, given that responsibility to make sure that justice is served. Now, we understand there are certainly those bad actors in those different arenas. We, we get it. We understand that. But by and large, those people are fulfilling their God-given responsibility in the name of justice. Now, the issue here, all right, it's important for me to kind of establish that context. The issue here is that Jesus is is bringing to their understanding, the the followers of Jesus, the disciples there who are sitting there along that mountainside, Jesus is helping them to understand that the Pharisees had taken that, that law, an eye for eye and a tooth for tooth, that was intended uh, to be used in pursuing justice by governing bodies, by judges, by rulers and authorities, what the Pharisees had done is they had taken that law that was intended for civil society, they had taken that law and they had applied it now to personal 
relationships. The Pharisees, they took this law and they integrated it into personal relationships, into dealings. And they took the law, an eye for eye and a tooth for tooth, that again is to be used within the realm of, of civil servants. They had taken that and they had applied it and, and they were using it as a permission slip to pursue personal revenge. They even used it as an excuse or an obligation to retaliate. So the facade that they created, the facade that the Pharisees were operating behind was that an individual, you and me, could personally seek revenge toward another individual and we could do it in the name of justice and yet still appear to be a righteous person. Well, God knows our hearts, doesn't he? God knows that it is our tendency to take what is good, his justice, and to manipulate it in our favor. Because eventually what we claim we're doing in the name of justice on a personal level, little by little, begins to look more like revenge. Rather than stopping with just getting even with a person, who has wronged us, we tend to overreact. Or we try to get the upper hand. And what we find is we end up causing more harm on others than they caused on us in the first place. And what this does is this feeds the cycle of hatred and hurt by only fueling rage in the heart of the other person. In our personal relationships, the standard of an eye for eye and a tooth for tooth is a, is a ticking time bomb that's armed and ready to destroy those around us and will sooner or later be discharged by those who are emotionally caught up with the idea of a personal vendetta. I appreciate what Pastor Andy Sabaka shared with me regarding uh, this particular text. Andy and I, have a, who, who pastors Grace Fellowship here, have a, a good relationship, and I'll bounce ideas off of him occasionally, and Pastor Andy shared this with me. He said, we live in a world that tells us to fight every single one of our real and perceived rights. He said, if we sense that one of those rights has been violated, we are told to do whatever it takes to get our just dues or to enact revenge on those who have taken what is rightfully ours. We live in a culture of Judge Judy where you take your roommate to a televised court because you can't peacefully resolve the conflict about who is responsible for cleaning out the microwave. We live in a land of litigation where we are ready to sue anybody who harms us. And we've been trained to assume that we are always the victim and that our perception of the proper punishment is always correct. Church, indeed, in our hearts, we often want to settle the score. 
don't we? We want to settle the score by seeking revenge, but seeking revenge is not our place in personal relationships. It's not our place. And and that's what Jesus is saying. He is saying that the Pharisees have taken eye for eye and tooth for tooth, and they've misapplied it into personal relationships. But Jesus is instructing us that personal revenge toward those who have hurt us is not to be a Christian practice. In fact, in Scripture, we're told that we should trust that when we've been hurt by other people, when our heart wants to get revenge, what should we do? We should turn that over to the Lord, and we should trust Him. In Proverbs 20, 22, we're told, Do not say, I'll pay you back for this wrong, but instead, wait for the Lord, and He will deliver you. Now, we understand, now that we've established, Jesus has established for us, he has said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, that's, that's the, the Pharisees have, have misapplied that, and instead, when it comes to your personal relationships with other people, Jesus is going to now help us to see that we should choose not to retaliate. We should choose not to retaliate. And this is where we see it there in the first part of verse 39. But I tell you, Jesus says, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Now, most of us probably this morning, uh, we are not actively plotting some form of magnificent revenge toward another person. Uh, most, most likely, none of us in here have, have uh, met or recently contacted a hitman Uh, Hopefully, none of us have ever contacted a hitman in here. Uh, Most of us probably are not carrying a little uh, black binder with with names on it of people that we want to get revenge with, all right? So some of us might say, well, this really isn't my issue here. But what I want us to see that, uh, that sometimes revenge presents itself in maybe some more subtle ways. And in fact, that our hearts have a tendency toward revenge throughout the course of our days. Think about this. Uh, Revenge rears its ugly head, maybe through that cutting or snide remark to a coworker after they just unnecessarily threw you under the bus in front of the boss. What about your subtle revenge? by not answering the phone call from that person? What about your subtle revenge by waiting a day or two to respond to that text message? Children, how about this, all right? Aiden now is paying attention. Aiden, I'm glad you're paying attention now. Aiden, no, I I I won't direct this to you, Aiden, I'm sorry. Children, Do you ever pretend that you don't hear your parents' instructions as a subtle way of getting back at them? Maybe you've been disciplined for some reason, and maybe you just have kind of tuned them out. Do you ever do that as a a way to get back at them? Or children, what about the kick under, under the table at dinner or, or, or the punch on the, on the shoulder toward your sibling when mom or dad have turned their head. 
That's subtle revenge, isn't it? Depending on how hard you hit them, it might be not so subtle revenge. What about this revenge? Have you unfriended a person on Facebook as an act of revenge? That'll really give it to them, right? I'm going to unfriend you. What about when someone cuts you off on the road? And so what do you do? You speed up, you pass them, you get right in front of them, and then you hit the brakes. I'm sure none of you have ever done that before. That's subtle revenge. Or, or what about the silent treatment? Maybe you feel like someone treated you unfairly or didn't give you the respect you deserve, and so what do you do? You give them the, sho- the cold shoulder. Now, I've got more. Shall I continue? Okay, let's, let's continue. All right, maybe you play basketball. Maybe you play basketball, and, and one of the, the players on the other team, okay, I'm, I'm looking here because I know there's some basketball players here, probably over here too, over here, oh, basketball players all over the place. Maybe you play basketball, and one of the players on the other team took a cheap shot at you, and the ref didn't see it. And so the next time down the court, what do you do? When you think the ref is looking, you give them an extra elbow you take a cheap shot at that. That's, that's revenge. That, that's the display of a, of a heart of a revenge. Or, or maybe you're a mom or a dad or you're a fan sitting in the stands and you feel like the ref is calling the game one-sided and so you start heckling them from the seats. That's a form of revenge. Maybe you work at a restaurant. I was thinking about some of you uh, teenagers who work at McAllister's Deli or other restaurants in the area. Are you still working at the noodle factory? Yeah, Eli, there you go. Maybe you work at a restaurant. Do you, do you all ever have someone who treats you in a rude manner? You do, don't you, right? Maybe you work at a restaurant. Do you ever purposefully give someone poor service because they've been rude to you or have spoken in a condescending way about you. Or, or maybe you don't give them rude service, but in, ba- in, in, in the back workroom, boy, you really let your, let your coworkers know what you think about that person. All of these are evidences of our heart that has a tendency to want to settle the score. It's a... It it is indeed a sinful, natural bend to want to retaliate, to want to get even. However, as a follower of Jesus, Jesus is helping us to see this is not how we are to respond. And so the question then is this, if it's not an eye for eye and a tooth for tooth, then how should we respond when someone wrongs us? Right? What does it look like to be all right with being wronged. So in verse 39, Jesus answers the question. He instructs us in knowing how to respond when we're offended or we're wronged. And I've read it to you already. Jesus said, I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Now, some have taken this command and they've used it as an argument for a very strict pacifism. Uh, even going so far as to say that we should refuse to get involved in physical altercations when it comes to protecting ourselves or other people from violence. Now, I, I do not believe that Jesus is instructing us to be content with being another person's punching bag. 
If someone is physically harming you, if someone is physically abusing you, it's important for you to first remove yourself from the situation to get help and do what's necessary to protect yourself. Preserving your life in the moment of violence is different than scheming revenge. So Jesus' instruction here, where where he says, do not resist an evil person, Jesus' instruction is, is that it's an unwillingness, that you have an unwillingness to seek revenge or retaliation for the harm that a person has caused you. When we choose non-resistance toward an evil person, what we're doing is we're choosing to accept the injustice that's done to us without the need to even the score. And the reason why we can accept an injustice, an injustice that's done to us without the need for us to even the score in our own efforts is because we have confidence that God is in control and that God will one day make everything that's wrong, he will fix it and he will make it right. That Jesus will one day rescue us from that which is taking place in our lives. We have confidence that God is going to handle the matter in his time. And so what Jesus is telling us, and as we'll see in, in the rest of these verses, and as we'll see next Sunday, Jesus is telling us that we are not to re- relate to the person who offends us as an enemy. But in she- instead, we should seek to relate to that offender as a friend, as a neighbor. In fact, the Apostle Paul gives us a scripture passage that highlights this in even more detail. Paul said, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. In other words, the world says, seek revenge. In in the eyes of the world, they're going to be like, well, why aren't you getting even? You need to take that person and sue the socks off of that person. And so Paul says, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. He goes on, he says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, Paul says, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And so on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Also in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul continues, he says, Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. I guess here you could say, we could repeat that old old adage, we should kill them with kindness. See, the reason we can repay evil with good is because we trust in God's means of justice. That God indeed will have the final word in each and every situation. So Jesus helps us to understand there in in verse 38 that personal revenge is not our place. 
And then he goes on and he, and, and he helps remind us uh, to, to see what, what revenge, how our response should be, that we should not resist the evil person, that we should not seek to retaliate. And now what Jesus is going to do is he's going to give us four different illustrations of what it looks like to repay evil with good. In verses 39 through 42, Jesus shows us what it looks like to repay evil with good because we've chosen not to retaliate. And so we're probably thinking, what should my response be if I'm choosing not to retaliate? And and Jesus is going to help us see what it looks like to repay this evil with good. All right, let's think back to the statement that we used earlier, to fight fire with fire. Right, some of us, many of us knew, were familiar with that statement. I, you fight fire with fire, but imagine the absurdity if a fire truck arrived to a burning building and rather than grabbing the water hose, they jumped out of the truck with, with flamethrowers. <laughs> they would do a lot more harm than good, wouldn't they? And so what Jesus is doing when he says to repay evil with good, when, when the world says repay evil with evil, get, get even the score, get your revenge, retaliate, Jesus is offering to us as followers of his, he's offering to us a new way. A way that is not the way of revenge or retaliation. It's the way that we are to respond to the evil that's done against us. And it's through acts of goodwill and service. See, when we trust in God's justice, believing that he will one day right all the wrongs of this world, we are able to respond in a kindness that is out of the overflow of our hearts, a kindness and a love that, that is displayed toward God and displayed toward neighbors. We should no longer hold on to personal, personal animosity. Instead, we should surrender the need to retaliate. And in fact, when we do that, when we surrender that need to retaliate, what happens is we are now freed up to be able to seek the welfare of the person who has harmed us. We are now freed up to look out for their best interest. We're no longer, we no longer need to be obsessed with with the desire for everything to be fair. Do you ever struggle with everything being fair in your life? Jesus is going to help us to see that we should put up with the sins and the insults of others for the sake of Christ, believing Jesus and his promises to be enough for us, even in our hurt and pain. And so here in in verses 39 through 42, Jesus is going to detail for us four illustrations, four almost... It's like four cameo appearances of real-life scenarios that Jesus knows we struggle with and we are often tempted to retaliate or seek revenge. And the first one is there in verse 39. Look there. Uh, Jesus, he starts verse 39. He says, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. That's the instruction. Don't retaliate. And here, then he says, if anyone slaps you, okay, this is how you repay, repay evil with good. The first one is this. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Jesus is speaking. He is addressing personal insults. Now, Jesus is describing what what is a backhanded slap. According to rabbinic law, to hit someone with the back of the hand was twice as insulting as hitting him with the flat of the hand. 
Now, I, I don't really want to be hit with either side of the hand, if, you, if, if you're along with, if, if you understand what I'm saying. I, I don't want to be hit at all. Jesus is not necessarily speaking about physical violence. Instead, he is referring to how people would insult one another. To be slapped in the face, especially to be slapped in the face by, a, by the back of the hand is a demeaning act that was carried out with calculated contempt and it was intended as an insult rather than a physical attack. Attack. Essentially, the offender is declaring that he or she considers you to be worthless or a nothing. By turning the other cheek, Jesus shows us that we are to choose to lovingly absorb the insult and not to retaliate with harsh words or angry insults right back at them. Jesus is calling us to swallow our pride. Jesus is calling us to believe in who we are in Christ Jesus more than what that other person says about us. You see, an insult loses loses its value when it is paid back with a loving response. An insult loses its value when you return a loving response. So I wonder, when someone hurls an insult your direction, are you willing to diffuse the insult just by not even responding? When someone publicly embarrasses you, are, are you willing to, to shrug it off? When someone attacks your character or questions your motives, are you willing to not demand to have to have the last word? And you see, we are able to do that because we are confident in who we are in Christ Jesus. We are confident in God's love for us. And we are confident that God is going to one day even the score. And that's not our responsibility. And so Jesus is showing us, here's how you should repay evil with good. He goes on then, and he talks about personal property. We see it there in verse 40. He, he says, and if anyone wants to sue you and take your, sh- your shirt, hand over your coat as well. One of the most important pieces of clothing a person owned in this day was his coat. In fact, many of the poor in Jesus' day, they would use their coats not only as a garment to wear during the day, but they would use it as bedding at nighttime. Under the law of Moses, the outer coat was not allowed to be taken from someone overnight. If you demanded a person's outer coat, you were, you were charged, you were, you, you were required to return it to them by nightfall. So that way they could have something to cover them in the cold of the night. Now because we live in a day when clothes overflow from our closets and, and they lay around on our bedroom floors, it's hard for us to truly understand the radical nature of what Jesus is telling us here. In fact, most of us this morning, we had several coats to choose from as, as we were walking out the door. Which coat, which color do I want to wear this morning? But the value of the coat here in this day cannot be overstated. 
And Jesus' command for his followers was that if someone demands your shirt, be willing to give to them that which is of great value to you as well. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases this verse. He says, if someone drags you into court and sues you for the shirt off your back, gift wrap your best coat and make a present of it. If someone sues you for your shirt, go and get your coat, wrap it up in a, in, in a gift box and send it to them as a present. You see, as followers of Jesus, we trust God to be our defender and our provider. So I wonder, did someone give you the raw end of a deal? Respond to them with actions of blessing and generosity. Are you currently in the middle of a financial disagreement with a family member or a neighbor? Trust in the Lord's provision. Cut your losses and happily pay extra for their time in trouble. This, these are, this is how, as followers of Jesus, we repay evil with good. This is, this is what Jesus is instructing us here. And then we go on, and Jesus is now talking about unfair treatment, right? The third illustration there in verse 41 is, uh, shows it, talks about how when, when someone treats us unfairly, where it says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. The Roman soldiers were permitted to ask a civilian in this day, in, in the day of, of Scripture here, the Roman soldiers could ask a civilian to carry their bags for them. Now imagine the frustration a person might experience if they were somehow in a time crunch. Imagine the frustration a person would have if, if they had other plans on their schedule. Imagine how a person the frustration a person would have if, if maybe they were just starting out for a weekend away and one of the Roman soldiers knocks on their door and says, I need you to carry my stuff and this is the direction we're going. Imagine if the Roman soldier is going the complete opposite direction than you want to go. And under law, you were obligated to carry that soldier's belongings. No matter what you were doing or hoped to do that day, you were obligated to carry it. Right? So, so in other words, what Jesus is helping us to see is, is how do you respond when someone treats you unfairly or, or robs you of a cherished freedom? Do you gratefully surrender your rights and go the extra mile? Or do you, do you yield only to the first mile and you only do that begrudgingly, right? Jesus is, is saying that if someone treats you unfairly, go the first mile, and once you finish that first mile, turn to them and say, hey, tell you what, I'll walk with you another mile too. Are you ever mistreated at work? Are there times when the boss seems to take advantage of your kindness and your willingness to help? Does your teacher at school or your coach seem to have a higher standard for you and seem to unfairly demand more from you than the rest of the class or the team. See, what Jesus is instructing us is he, he's saying, set aside our liberties, our personal agendas, what we perceive to be our rights, and instead cheerfully submit to this unfair treatment, even offering to walk an extra mile 
I mean, listen, church, anyone can walk the first mile, but only the follower of Jesus Christ who is empowered by the Holy Spirit is able to cheerfully walk the second mile. And then Jesus, here in this final illustration of what it looks like to not resist the evil person, what it looks like to not retaliate, but instead to to repay evil with good, Jesus then, in verse 42, deals with money. How many of you like to hold your money near and dear? I do. So this is probably going to hit a little bit closer to home. The final illustration is how we respond when a financial request is made of us, of our possessions or borrowing money. Jesus says in verse 42 to give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. In other words, Jesus says that we are to respond in mercy and to be willing to financially meet the needs of others. When someone asks us to borrow something, we we shouldn't just automatically turn them away. If the person has a need, we should seek to meet that need. So what about when your neighbor, who never rakes their leaves, and their yard is a mess, when your neighbor has a financial need, Are you the first to help pay the utility bills for them? When the estranged friend or the estranged family member or the ex-husband or the ex-wife, when they lose their job, are you the first one to offer to help pay their rent? When your demanding boss who treats you unfairly is recovering from a surgery, We should be the first one at their doorstep with a hot meal and an envelope filled with restaurant gift cards. See, Jesus is calling for a generous and a loving desire to to help that overflows from a changed heart. The Lord wants his followers, the Lord wants us to reject being tight-fisted. He wants us to reject being Penny, a penny-pinching attitude when it comes to helping other people. Jesus is, is helping us to reject this, this belief that this is mine and I'm going to hold on to this. He helps us to reject this, this belief of, of what's in it for me, but instead to teach us to have open hands to others, even when they treat us unfairly. An eye for an eye, a tooth for tooth, that is reserved for the the civil system, for the governments, for the police department, for the judges, for you and I. We are not to seek revenge. We're not to try to retaliate. Instead, we are to intentionally look for ways to repay evil with good. We are to be all right with being wronged. And our willingness to choose this non-retaliation, and I know this, this smacks in the face of everything that we're told by the world, isn't it? 
I mean, you want to look different to the world? Don't seek revenge. Don't try to get the last word. Don't try to even the score. We're reminded that Jesus, He is the one who perfectly displayed for us what this looks like. And in fact, in 1 Peter, Peter wrote, he said, For to this you have been called, because Christ offers, also suffered for you, leaving you an example, what? so that you might follow in his footsteps. So, so Peter is saying this way of non-retaliation, this way of, of non-resistance, of, of not seeking revenge, you've been called to this. And why have we been called to this? Because Jesus has given us the example of what this looks like. Peter goes on and he says he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he, when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live in righteousness. For by his wounds, you have been healed. Jesus entrusted himself to God's justice. And we are invited to do the same. 